This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming on, Carly. Thank you for having me. All right. So how much uh, sober time do you have now? Five years. Five years. So, okay, now we're we're in a holiday season now. You know, we're talking now it's the holiday season. This isn't your first time going through, you know, Thanksgiving and everything sober. Now, do you do something, like, what do you do for yourself to get through these days, you know, as opposed to before? Um, I just, my fiancé is a big help. Like, when I, like, today I had, like, big anxiety because I had a dream about using So she's just, like, my peace, and, like, she'll just, like, calm me and, like, talk me through it. Okay, is she sober, too? Um, yes, she's never been an addict. Okay, cool, so she's, like, a normie that doesn't really care too much about, you know, drinking or using. Was, what was more of your downfall? Was it drinking or was it more drugs back in the day? Um, drugs. Drugs, okay. Now, what was your drug of choice? Um, meth, heroin, um, Xanax cocaine when did that all get started like teenage years or late bloomer um teenage years when i was about 13 i um i started taking tramadols and it just turned into after the tramadol i was drinking and then smoking spice where where are you from down south yeah i'm from indiana oh okay now the tramadol um now, was that something prescribed to you? No, my friend's mom was prescribed it. And she, one day she had a headache and her mom gave her a tramadol. And then she liked the way she felt. And she was like, Carly, try this if you have a headache. And I like fell in love. I, you're, like, you're like, shit, I'll get headaches right every day. Once. Yeah. yeah. Like so, Okay, so your first introduction to, like, you know, feeling, you know, getting out of yourself was actually a pill and not really a drink. Because then then you, then someone probably, what was it, someone told you, hey, you know, if you drink, you can have some fun, too. Well, honestly, I was the youngest out of all my friends' groups. I hung out with people way older than me. Okay. And they were old enough. To buy alcohol, one of their sisters were, and they got a hold of it. And we were just, like, having a heyday with it. Yeah, that makes I, sense. Yeah, if you're, if you're like, younger out of your group, and then you have friends that have older siblings, mm-hmm. you know, I can see really easily being able to acquire alcohol. Because the hardest thing for it, sometimes it's easier for a teenager to get high, because it's easier sometimes for a teenager to get drugs. 
But yeah. then there's the teenagers who have access to alcohol through older siblings or whatever, and they're able to start drinking early. Um, when did it start becoming a problem? I would say when I was about 16, um, it with Spice. Spice was my, I was one of those users that I didn't see myself being an addict. I was just doing it for fun. So I would do like, I would smoke Spice and then I would do Percocets, Deladas. And um, by 17, I was introduced to morphine patches and I fell in love. I was obsessed. Someone's grandma died and she was prescribed. um, She was prescribed the patches. So when she died, one of my buddies went and stole them all. So, you know, I was getting that every day, every day. But one of my other friends, they were also addicted to heroin. And they were like, Carly, try this. It's just like the patches. And I'm like, hmm, I've always got told heroin was bad. Never to do heroin, you know? Yeah. And then when the port, when the morphine patches ran out, it was like, okay, I guess I'll try it. But I'm only going to snort it. I'm trying to justify myself, you know? Like, I'm only going to snort it. Yeah. Well, the first couple times I did it, I didn't like it. It was just making me sick. I'd throw up. And then one day, um, I bought stuff, and they just cooked it all up. And I was like, I don't – like, I snorted. What are you doing? And they're like, well, you got two options. You can either do it or shut the fuck up. And I'm like, okay just took a deep breath and the person that I was using with they were like just hold my hand Carly it's okay and I shot up and I fell in love by 18 I was a full-on heroin addict Um, were you going to school still no I dropped out at 16 where were you living at the time I was living um with my mom but I was using it so bad that one time me and my dad got into a big fight and I ripped his shirt off of him and I just went crazy. So he told me that I was no longer allowed to live there and my mom put me in an apartment and she was paying my bills, buying me groceries, giving me money. So once I moved out of my mom's, it just got worse. Yeah, because you were able to, you know, you were not being supervised at all mm-hmm. and able to pretty much do whatever you wanted. Yeah. You know, it was like so free for all. Yeah. How long did you keep that place for, you know, that she was, you know, taking care of for you? My mom um, paid for all my bills and a place for me to live until I went up to rehab. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So how long? how long did you last then? Um, I went to rehab a month before my 21st birthday. So, so from 17 to 20, almost 21, my mom was paying my bills and I was getting evicted out of these apartments, but she still put me in another apartment or put me in another trailer. Oh, I see. So she was just helping you like float 
you know, basically. So yeah. is it, and it was only because she didn't know what else to do, I'm sure, you mm-hmm. know, with, what to do with you. See, I had a few of my old friends, once I started using, they cut me off and they texted my mom off of a secret number saying, Carly's doing heroin. Check her, check her. But I never shot up like in my arms. I only did it in my hands. And I had cats, so I would have my cat scratch me. So it just looks like my cat scratched me. It didn't look like I was shooting up dope. Yeah, that makes sense. And you yeah. weren't like, and you weren't like, you know, some people look like they're addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. You know what See, I mean? I was always raised that you have to do your hair, you have to do your makeup. So even if I was dope sick, I knew if my mom came in and I did not have my makeup on and my hair done, she would know something was up. A lot of my friends say I was the cleanest drug addict they've ever met. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and that's actually, that's that's the reason why in rehab self-care is so important. Because a lot of people forget how to do basic things like, you know, brush their teeth and do their hair and stuff like that. And that's why it's such an make their bed, such an important thing to like acclimate us back to being regular again. But it's funny that you were doing that just to like keep up appearances for your mom. So she would keep paying your bills and enable you, you know, so to speak. So what was it then for you? Were you getting arrested a lot? Like why, why all of a sudden at 21 where you were like, okay, I need rehab now. Um, so a week, I can't open this. Sorry. A week before I went to rehab, um, I was also doing meth. The last six months before I went to rehab, I was really, really bad on meth. And one night, um, I wanted to go to sleep, so someone was like, "Here's some Xanax. Take them, you'll pass out." I'm like, "All right." They weren't Xanax. They were rupees. And I woke up and I was raped. So. I called my mom and I said, mom, I just got raped. And she said, well, Carly, the life you're living, what do you think would happen? What do you think was going to happen? And I was like, I don't know. And then a week later, my mom called me. She said, Carly, you have two options, be homeless or go to rehab in Florida. And I was like, Take me to rehab. Take me to rehab. So that's what made me. Did she go to Al-Anon or something? Or did she? Because that sounds like somebody was like, hey, you have to tell your daughter, do this. Or it's like, I feel like she was almost coached into saying that. Not not that it's a bad thing. Yeah. I know that a um, lot of parents, you know, whenever they're talking to their child and, you know, it's their first time dealing with, you know, presenting rehab to their children. It can be, you know, something that they're an uncomfortable thing for their the parent to do. And a lot of the times they are coached on how to say and what to say exactly in order to get the addict to accept help. And I'm wondering if she was coached on that. I think my brother, because my brother's the one that found the rehab and everything. My brother. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, they had a suspicion. One day they came to my apartment, but I wasn't home. And they walked in and they found needles. And I just, that's not mine. That's not mine. They're like, Carly, it's still, the tip of it's still wet. What do you mean it's not yours? They're like, get your ass to your apartment. 
like, fuck. I just, like, I just got done shooting up a bunch of meth. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I go there, and I'm like, I'm not high. That's not mine. And they're like, Carly, fucking look at you. You're going to tell me you're not high? Look at you. But after that, like, nothing was talked about. And I still continue to use for, like, two months. And then two months later is when that happened, and you were like, okay. Like, okay, yeah. White flag. The people who I was hanging out with, I trusted them with with everything. Until that happened. Until that happened. Yeah, no one could tell me what. I had five people in my house, but no one could tell me what happened to me. No one. Yeah. Yeah, so that would make sense then that, you know, you would lose trust easily and just be like, all right, I'm done then. So you go down to Florida now, you're 21, right? You're yes. about to be 21, you're 21. Now, are you, you're looking forward to rehab? Not really. I mean, my mom okay. called me and she's like, you're, you're leaving tomorrow at nine in the morning. And I'm like, God, all right, okay. <laughs> like, mm. I wasn't, I think I was more nervous than anything um you know i remember i was trying to get dope the night before i went to rehab but my dude had to re-up so i i was sitting there for hours and then i passed out and i just remember my mom knocking on the door it's nine in the morning and i'm withdrawing and i have no way to get drugs and i'm like freaking out I'm like, I'm going to destroy your fucking house if you don't take me to go get my damn drugs, mom. And like, <laughs> it's crazy. So, and you, but you didn't, she didn't let you and you didn't, you got on the plane withdrawn. Yep. I, um, I smoked three blunts and I was like, oh, all right. My mom had to call my brother over because I'm personally scared of my brother. I know my brother could kick my ass and she had to come have my brother come over because my mom was that scared of me because I was just, you know, I was crazy knowing. Well, I'm sure that. you're you're physically withdrawn from dope. You're mentally withdrawn from meth. You know, you're physically withdrawn from Xanax. You're not comfortable. Your skin, I'm sure, feels crawling. And you're at this time, usually whenever it gets this bad, you're about to get high again. And you know that. And this time, you know, you're not about to get high. You're about to board a fucking flight from Indiana to Florida that I can imagine it's got to be at least four hours. Yeah, you know, it's three. Three? Okay, yeah, I was just guessing. I have no idea. Um, I, Where in Florida did you go? I went to Tampa. Okay. I went to uh, River, River Banks, I think it was called. And but how was I that experience? I left two weeks later. Um, but my dad, my real dad lives in Florida and I didn't, I haven't talked to him since I was eight years old. My mom had this plan that I had no clue about that. I was going to get out of rehab, go to my real dad's and then maybe get to come home. Well, I didn't know that. I thought I'm going to leave this rehab and I'm going to go home. No, no. So you leave two weeks. Why did you leave within two weeks? What was it? Were you uncomfortable or? Yes, because they don't, for the first like week, you're not allowed to have phone calls. And Mm -hmm. even though I was always getting high, I'm someone that I talk to my mom every day, multiple times a day. 
And the fact that I'm somewhere new, they're not letting me call my mom. I just go in like panic mode. And then I can finally get the phone calls and I'm on the phone with my mom and the lady doesn't know that I can be on the phone. So she hangs it up. That was it for me. That was it. I was like, fuck, no, you're going to hang up my phone call. I was like, fuck you. I'm fucking leaving today. I picked up the phone. I called my mom and I'm like, I'm out of here. Either I'm going to fucking walk and figure out where I'm going or you book me a flight. And she was like, well, neither one of those options. Uh, you can go live with your real dad. And I was thinking, perfect. Okay. It was not perfect or okay. <laughs> well, now what happens now? You move in with your dad. Yeah. Oh, I'll wait. I'll let you, I'll let you plug it up. Sorry. No, you're good. Yes. I know what you were doing. Uh, I realized it. I'll ask you again in a second once you get set up again. Okay, we're good. Now, okay. Now you move in with your dad that you haven't really had a relationship with in 13 years. And the first time he, you know, last time he saw you, you know, you were his little innocent eight-year-old girl. And now you are two weeks out of a full-blown meth and heroin addiction. Um, and you're coming to move in like, hey, Pops, it's like a sitcom. It's like a bad sitcom, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. how does he, like, how does that go? So... Um, my real dad was very abusive when I first moved in and was very mentally abusive, physically abusive. I remember I was just so exhausted from being up, even though it's been two weeks since I was clean. I was just so still exhausted. And I remember the specific night I was sleeping and he wakes me up and is like, come on, we're going to Applebee's. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to go. And he grabs me by my neck. And he's like, you're going to fucking Applebee's. And it was, it was just terrible. It, they would be like, all you want to do is go home and put a needle in your arm. And they was he, is, would, is he a drinker? My dad used to be addicted to crack. Okay. It's just so ironic. He's judging your drug of choice. You know, it's usually the, the hardcore alcoholics that like judge the drug addicts so hard mm -hmm. you know that will abuse them this episode is sponsored by mj's progress not perfection meeting center association we are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction i can do this podcast anywhere i can do this at home i can do this in a closet i can do this in a basement it doesn't matter all i need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery what i can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Physically and, you know, verbally, because, you know, oh, you're putting needle in your arm. Why don't you fucking drink a silver bullet? You know, <laughs> like that kind of <laughs> shit. Like, that's what I think of. Like, I don't know. Um, 
but yeah, like that's that's no. So he was, you said that was a key word. So how long had he been clean? But yet he he must not be working a program if he's abusive he, towards you. Yes, he is a fifteen years sober. Um, White knuckle sober or program sober? Uh, knuckle sober. Like he'll okay. still drink sometimes. Um, he does have a medical card now because in Florida yeah. you can have medical cards. Um, yep, same with PA. Where I'm at, so, yeah. Now, since I don't live with him, our relationship is better, but it was just so bad. Like, at one point, I put a pitchfork under my pillow, and I was waiting for him to come and physically hurt me again, because I was just, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to get him right in the jugular. I'm, I can't take it anymore. And I told my mom, like, Mom, I'm going to kill myself if I don't get out of here. And she... I've said that I was going to kill myself before when I was really sad and, you know, first coming off of dope. But she could tell that this time I was like, I'm serious. Like, I can't live here with him. I wasn't allowed to have a cell phone. I wasn't allowed to go hang out. They got to pick who I hung out with. So, and then what was it that, you know, got you out of there finally? Like, have you been sober this whole time? still to this day yeah like part of your five years is that rehab trip that you were only at rehab for two weeks yes and you were able to stay sober while this is going on with your dad yeah so which is huge because a lot of people would want to run to drinking or using over mm-hmm. this kind of trauma now were you were you working a program during this time no my dad told me like I asked to go to meetings and he refused. If it wasn't church church based, I couldn't go. I see. Okay. Now, do you go to meetings now? Um, no. No. Okay. What would you consider like, you know, everybody I know plenty of people that don't go to meetings or didn't do the 12 steps that are able to stay sober. Um, I feel like everyone has like their own kind of you know, system like meditations or yoga or like what what do you do for your sobriety basically? Um honestly what really keeps me sober is my fiance, she has a big family. So she has like fifteen nieces and nephews. And just like having them around and just for some reason, like when they're around, I just don't I just don't think about it. It just mm-hmm calms me being around them because I just love kids yeah and you have but, a kid uh, or is that your fiance so like how does that if you don't let me ask it, I'm curious um that's mine and my fiance's um kid we got a sperm donor and oh okay yeah that's awesome so yeah you're really you know, how long how long have you two been together uh four is coming on four years so you met towards the end of your first year being sober yes so how was that introducing your past life to, you know, your fiance when, you know, you guys met? Um, well, my fiance, uh, around that time, she just lost her cousin from a heroin overdose. So she got the sense of loving someone who was an addict, you know. Um, I straight told her, like, hey, I am an addict and... If you want to be with me and stay with me through the the struggles, then cool. If not, you know, I understand. 
So she was kind of open arms. She she was more glad that I told her about it than trying to hide it. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, and your proof uh, right here, like, everyone has different ways that they can stay sober. You know, people stay yeah. sober for yeah. different reasons, you know, different ways. And that's why I love putting out so many episodes all the time is because it's showing there's not just one fits all, one way fits all. You know, there are people that have even asked me, you know, privately, like about how come you're putting out stories that's not just like what you did and what the program is like or what AA is or just like everyone who's been through the steps, because I want people to put every story out there for a listener to be able to resonate with, because there are people like you that are, are doing it on their own or going to church or finding, you know, support through family you know, that's what it sounds yeah. like you are. You're finding your support system through your family and through your church. And it's kind of like more faith based. Yeah. And as opposed to, you know, 12 steps based or whatever, therapeutic, there are so many different ways that you can do it. Um, white knuckle is probably the most detrimental because it's not, you know, it's kind of just like talking. But when yeah. you're going to church and stuff like that and you're talking to your fiance all the time and you have a support system where, you can be open and obviously you're in other groups. We, we met on a Facebook group, right? Yes. So you do stuff like that too, where are you in a bunch of groups on social media that have to do with recovery? Yes. And honestly, I never posted in one until my five years. I was just like, I don't know why I was just like nervous. Like I would comment on people's stuff, but I never told my like story until I hit five years. And, you know, how does it feel even like today, like telling your story again, like in a different kind of way too? Like it, it can be really therapeutic. I find yeah, it is. And I'm like, just mind blown because like, I always thought I didn't really have faith in myself. I was like, okay, I'll get sober and maybe do it once or twice. Like, like I'm surprised I I've stayed sober and I, I haven't used, I haven't relapsed. Like, I'm just so proud of myself for doing that because in my head, I was just like, okay, I'm going to get sober for a little bit. We'll, we'll see. But, yeah. And, and you should be proud of yourself. And especially like the fact that you can get, there are some people that they need to go to, you know, a meeting every single day for the rest of their sobriety. There's people that are 30 years sober that haven't missed a meeting in 30 years. Yeah. And if they do, they're afraid they're going to relapse. So, you know, you can wake up and know that you have a day ahead of you or work ahead of you and life's going to come and you're going to be fine. And you're not going to have to drink or do drugs or anything because you're going to get through the day. It's been five years now of you getting through things because you got through even traumatic events, you know, with somebody close to you, you know, right in early sobriety. <laughs> Like two weeks into being sober and you're going through this now. Like, yeah. Like it, it's usually the other way around where it's like trauma. I'll get sober. But you're like, oh, I had trauma. I'm going to get go through drugs and addiction. I'm going to get sober for two weeks and then go right back into some more trauma. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, the fact that you're still sober is just proof right there that you can just have faith and go to church and just find a good support system how did you and your wife meet or fiance um, meet? tinder Ten, that's that's how we met that's how my wife and i met don't worry 
<laughs> that we met on Tinder and we met, you know, we were only gonna be friends with benefits. Yeah. And we weren't ready for relationships when we met. And a month later we were engaged. That's that's life, you know. <laughs> right. So right. and now we have, you know, this place, you know, this this place, this meeting center that I run is because of Tinder. You know, <laughs> in this AA meeting I had this morning was because of Tinder three years right. ago. So yeah, thank That's you fine. Tinder. This is a great pr- cr- promo for Tinder. We'll cut. Maybe they'll pay us. <laughs> right. Pay up Tinder. <laughs> You're saving lives now. Mental health and addiction. You're doing God's work. And there's a little baby on the other side of that screen because of you, Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> how old's your kid? Uh, he's a year and seven months. And how was that? Now, can I ask? Was it you that gave birth, or was it her? It was her. It was her. Now, how was that going through pregnancy, like being the spouse, like the partner, like with everything up and down, emotions up and down? And, you know, I I don't I have I have a stepson and, you know, I entered his life when he was five and he's seven. You know, so I wasn't around for her pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So I've heard stories, you know, from her, which are unflattering. So I can you know, how was that being sober with her? It was good. It okay. was just, you know, I guess I just understood because I'm a girl. But That's true. Yeah, okay. Because me and her, like, we, like, roast each other all the time. I'll be like, you're a bald-headed hoe. And then she'll say something back to me. But then when I roast her when she was pregnant, she would just cry and cry and cry. And I'm like, like this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, all right. All right. I'm done kidding with you. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm done. Because you are just being a little crybaby right now. <laughs> and you're still down in Florida? Yes. That's awesome. And especially if you're still in that area, Tampa Bay's been killing it with championships lately. And well, I know you might have left Tampa Bay by now, yeah. but when you went down there, you know, because you left because your dad and so I'm sure you left the area. But Tampa Bay, they got like the Lightning just won and the Buccaneers and <laughs> what other team? The Razor, I don't know. But either way, so, but, you know... Either way, I'm glad you're doing good. Thank you. And, you know, I hope you have a great holiday and, you know, stick with what you do because you don't have to change your recovery plan for anybody else. Um, it's one of the hardest things that bothers me the most, biggest pet peeves I see is people critiquing people on how they live their recovery. Mm-hmm. And they have something to say, whether even if they drink here and there like your dad does, you know, mm-hmm. that's not a problem. You know, if it's if it's working for him, it's working for him. You know, yeah. and if it's not, that's when it becomes a problem. And everyone has their own way of doing it. And people shouldn't shame it unless it's affecting their life in a negative way. Yeah. If my recovery is affecting your life in a bad way, then we get we can talk about it. But it shouldn't right. be because I'm not doing anything to affect your life. I'm not stealing from anybody. I'm not cheating anybody. I'm not lying to anybody. Right. I'm being as honest as I can be. And if you don't like that, then I'm sorry. But that's who I am. Right. Because you know, I've so. been on the fence about getting my medical card or not um but like i know like in recovery they're like if you if if you do smoke like you're not in recovery so i try to tell myself like i'm not if i was to get my medical card it wouldn't be to get high like like today i had such bad anxiety i was throwing up I've been throwing up all day just because my anxiety like took over because I did have a dream about using last night. 
and it's just been in my head ever since. Do you know what the dream about using means? No. I want to make you feel a lot better, okay? About any of these dreams that you're getting, and you're going to get more of. Do you, the reason you get these dreams, it's because they are our subconscious's way of showing us a nightmare now. These are our new nightmares, right? So before teenage years growing up, the nightmare was when you fall and all of a sudden you wake up, right? That yeah. was a nightmare. Um, but nowadays, as we get older and some of the things in our are in our past, like our using, our subconscious is telling us whenever we have that dream, like, hey, this is your nightmare. Yeah. This is a nightmare night. So just because there's not fire and the devil doesn't mean it's not hell. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's not bad doesn't mean it's not a nightmare so the way i look at them because i still get them too and when i get them i'm like oh well i had a nightmare you know that's all i tell myself now yeah because it's easier to tell myself that i had a nightmare because i don't dwell on the nightmare it's just something that i accept because i understand mm -hmm. what a nightmare is but yeah. when i tell myself it's a using dream then it gets stuck in your head and that's when it can be dangerous so if That's you tell yourself it's a nightmare and not, it helps a lot and it goes a long yeah. way because they're going to continue to happen. It's just your new nightmare. Right. Um, so that is what I would say for that. And what was the other thing you just said um, about the medical card? Um, it's about your relationship. Okay. So I use medical marijuana. I've used okay. it since day one. Um, I went to a place called High Sobriety. It was in a rehab in Los Angeles that helped you change your relationship with cannabis. So, but you, people would never know that I use it if I wasn't so honest about it. And I don't, and I talk about it so openly. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't smoke it though. And that's my point is I smoked it so much to, for the effect. You know, it's the same thing as why I would chug a drink and not sip or why I would sniff a pill and not, you know, eat it because I want the effect right now. So I don't smoke, you know, I use the little, I use the little edible capsules. I take okay. them. I take them microdose style with my blood pressure medicine. It's like, oh, blood pressure time. And then I pop a capsule. And then an hour to three hours later, I start to subtly feel the effects. Yeah. But it's nothing that's immediate. It's nothing that I can escape with. It's not like I can come home and be like, I just had the worst day of my life. I'm going to smoke a fat blunt to my head. Yeah. That would be a problem because then I'm escaping my day with that fat blunt. But yeah. if I'm taking my medicine, it's working my anxiety throughout the day. It's helping yeah. for my depression throughout the day. It's just like I'm taking a vitamin. I'm preemptively knowing that I'm going to have anxiety, preemptively knowing I'm going to have depression if my medicine's not working for me. So yeah. I don't get really high off of it. I just know that it's doing its job inside my body, in my head. Yeah. So that's how I live with it, you know, in a sense that I feel like I'm still in recovery. Because I'm not trying to escape my problems by smoking or using it. Okay. If I was, then it would be an issue, in my opinion. Okay, I see. Yeah, so, makes sense. Makes if sense. That, if that gives you a better mindset of it going into it, that's what you would have to do is, if you're having a bad day and you had a horrible day and you're like, I have to get high and smoke, that's when it's a problem. Yeah. Because that's when you're using it in a way that's going to be detrimental because you're escaping with that. Because drugs yeah. and alcohol weren't our problem, Carly. Yeah, no. Nope. Drinking wasn't my problem and drugging wasn't my problem. It was a solution to my problems. I still had real-life problems, and that was how I fixed my problems was to get higher. Yeah. 
So if you were to fix your problem by smoking weed, then you're back to your problems because you're using that as a crutch. Yeah, but if you're using it as days. if you're using it as medicine, then you're just taking it and walking away, taking it and walking away. Yeah, because I so. work at um, a dispensary. I work. At okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. So you know all about RSO probably then. Yeah. Um, that's that's why I, I've been on the fence, like. Do I get my medical card? Should I not get my medical card? And... Yeah, I'm going to have a girl on, actually. Um, I'm going to be talking to her later. Um, she has, like, a whole, like, Instagram following where she's, like, a cannabis person where she does, like, cannabis-related content on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think her name is Plant Curing. Um, and she's in recovery, and she mm-hmm. uses cannabis in her recovery. And actually, I was going to have another girl from Massachusetts, but she's been on my show twice. And she has a whole entire 420 recovery on Instagram. It's under it's under 420 recovery. And she has a show she does on Mondays. And yeah, she's all about cannabis and recovery as well. So there's a whole community that I could introduce yeah. you to on Instagram. Okay. Um, do you use Instagram? Yeah. There's an amazing community of cannabis and recovery. Like huge. Um, if you find me under JD.Dilks, um, then add me and I'll send you a bunch of accounts okay. and they're all going to be positive for cannabis and recovery. So they're all ones that have been doing it for years and have safe ways of doing it as well. I, I think you're doing great. And thank you thank so much you. for sitting down and talking with me, Carly. Like, thank you for having me. It's always nice hearing different ways people are surviving you know what I mean? And getting mm-hmm. by and doing this. And it's always nice to hear not everyone's doing it the same way I am. Yeah. So I appreciate that. So keep doing what you're doing because it's working for you. And if you need anything, reach out. You know, I'm always here. So, but have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.